0: Lech Lecha, which covers Genesis chapters 12 through 17, and we picked up a number of parallel passages in Isaiah 40, John 8, Galatians 4, Hebrews 7, uh, and also 11, and uh, today we didn't cover Romans chapter 3 verse 19 through 5 or 6, but also that is germane to our discussion as well yes larry
1: uh you've got your work cut out for you because a couple of those (laughs) scriptures were some of the most vociferous uh hardest ones against us
0: but as larry was pointing out here there's a number of passages that you could say would be problematic but one of the key things that we always say is context is important that's why we read all of these passages together. It might seem like a whole lot of reading, but unless you've done a whole lot of reading, it's easy to pick one little thing out of that and just go off and preach whole sermons about it. But unless you've read all of this together to see how all of these things are fitting together, then you might start missing things in the process. In and, For example, the passage we read there in John chapter 8, And then suddenly you start seeing a picture forming before Avraham was, I am. That's what Yeshua told those who were questioning him. But one of the things if you back the tape up a little bit and you see some of these passages that we've read here so far, like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 verse 16 talks about Avraham being the father of us all. And that's those who were born inside of the people of Israel. Talks about them in various ways in the letter of Romans, about those who know the law, those who were born Israel, Israel according to the flesh, and then those who are far off. He talks about another group of people, those who don't know the law, those that didn't, another way to put those who don't know the law is those who didn't grow up around the law, as your culture. Those who are new to the law of God or who God is, the testimonies of God. You came from a completely different culture where the, where the scriptures were not the way that you grew up or the things that you were led by. So, when Apostle Paul talked about us being, about Avram being the father of us all, And you see that mention also in the Gospels that out of rocks, God can call up and make children of Abraham. So don't claim genetics as being your ticket into the kingdom. You're not going to get in there just because of what your DNA is, what your genealogy is. No, it is about what? Your trust and trust is a heart issue. It is what is going inside of you, what you are thinking about, what you your emotions are your desires, where are those all those things pulling together and that we can see through that that <laughs> heaven's call to lech lecha or get going to Abraham, he left his homeland where he was at. We've seen in the descriptions of the passages we read here, they came out first from Mesopotamia, their modern-day Iraq area of where Ur was located, down at southern Iraq on the the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and to where they would be almost to modern-day Kuwait is where modern-day our Ur was originally. Yes, Babylon, ancient Babylon, And uh, that was a part of where Ur was. Babylon came and formed in that particular area. And you see that when the call went out, Avram responded. He got going. And actually, before him, his father got going because his father had taken the whole family, moved them out of Ur to sort of... Were the, you could say somewhere where Haran, the border of that would be is somewhere on the way toward, on the way toward the Holy Land. Because it said they were moving toward Canaan or Canaan. They were moving toward there. They didn't get all the way there, but they were moving toward there before they stopped in Haran. Then the call was when they were living there in Haran for a long time, then the call came hey, Avram, get going. Get going. I'm going to show you where your destination was going to be. I'm going to take you all the way to the land. You're not going to be stuck halfway in between, or more like two-thirds of the way in between where you were called from and where you're ultimately going. But... You see also in Genesis chapter 12 in the first three verses that there was the promise that was made to Avraham that he was going to be made a great nation and that he was going to have a great name. So great nation, great name. And name, as you see referred to in the Bible, is about reputation, what you are known for. So his, he was going to have a great reputation, a great renown and also be a great nation. So, which is quite amazing when you see that you're just talking about a family moving through uh, from one place to the other and being, um, you could say, fairly nomadic and living in tents. And that living in tents grew larger because we see as the account goes forward that just his Fighting force itself was three hundred and eighteen. So, if you ever been camping with three hundred and eighteen people, that's that's a lot of people. And then when you think about the support crew for all of that, beyond that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the roadies and such. Yeah, you're you're talking with at least probably about a thousand people that together, and that's quite an encampment of people. That's a city. When you think of in the ancient world to have a city of a thousand people was quite extraordinary actually. Some of the larger cities that are found in the time period are like three thousand people, so that was considered sizable to have a thousand people just camping out in the midst of the plain that was quite significant so he was promised to be have a great nation, a great name but We see in this account that Avram had to learn. He had to learn to trust the Lord and that the Lord would sustain his life until the promise would be fulfilled and not through any sort of half-truth measures. Half-truth measures, you see, one of those brought forward so far in this particular account, the account of going down into Egypt, into Mitzrayim, and the account of, hey, she's my sister. And the genealogy is kind of interesting to work out there, but yeah, that's partly true, but not really true in the sense. He was trying to get out of any sort of threat that was going to be coming upon his life. And in this particular account, you also see that Avraham and Sarah, they had to learn to trust that heaven would make the seed of Havah, which we read about in the first passage in Genesis that we read so far, back there in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, that that promise that was made to Havah, that that promise of the seed of the woman would become a blessing, and that would crush the head of the serpent. That would crush the head of the serpent. And then, so, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, then through Noah's family. Then through Noah's family, you see that this was going to come through a specific son of Noah. Shem. It was going to come through the family of Shem and that this would be the significance. So now we see it winnowing down further in through the family of Shem, that it was going to be a particular member of the family of Shem. And that would be Avram, and then it would be Sarah. And it wouldn't just be everybody in Sarah, in Avram's household. It would be through Avram and Sarah. It wouldn't be through avraham to Eleazar. It wouldn't be through avraham and Hagar. It would be through Avram and Sarah. The two of them together, that they would be the ones through whom it would come. So thus, you get the name change because they are now taking on a new name, a new reputation that they would be a mighty father. It wasn't even a father at all of any literal descendants yet a large household and he had one whom he considered to be his heir, but he was not a mighty father himself but he was changed the name to become, say, you are going to be a mighty father and your descendants through you and through Sarah would become a mighty nation, a populous nation. So, yes, Rose, go ahead.
2: Well, when he changed their names, did not he enter his part of his name into their name in the Hebrew
0: language? Um, not directly, no. Uh, no. Their their names are um, you know Av Raham. So Av Father Raham Great, and Sarah is the feminine form of Sar, which is Prince Ruler. Wherever, so that's why it, it went from interesting from my princess to a you could say a queen might be put that. To put that... So, like, a tsar would be a prince or a king. So, sarah would be a queen. So, thus, she went from being a ascendant to the throne to being a one who was put to be on a throne of a kingdom that would be coming, coming down through her. So, those are some of the underpinnings of, of where this is going. But... One of the great promises that's coming through here is that this would be a blessing for all nations. That this would be a blessing. And that those who blessed Avraham would be blessed. And that those who cursed, and it's very interesting there, you've got two forms of curse. You've got the one of those who curse you or who kalal you. Kalal means... Curse, but it has a more specific meaning of belittle you, those who belittle you or consider you to be a trifle or nothing significant, they will actually have a heaping dose of hurt put upon them. So very interestingly that you see a similar thing happen with um, when you see later on in the next passage that we're going to go through next week, Ishmael in a sense, kalald gitzak, belittled him. So, scorned. So, thus, you could say a very interesting thing. And the interesting thing you can also see in this is that Ishmael was made a great nation because of what you see the Apostle Paul talk about in Galatians. That he was walking to mate his great nation through his son. And the only son that he saw that was actually from him was Ishmael. So make him a great nation. Promise kept. And that has been a thing throughout the nation, throughout the time that the descendants of Ishmael have become a great and mighty nation. So, um, yes, uh, somebody had a question or a comment here. Still have it? No? Okay. Great. So, to Larry's comment, sure seems like you create lots of problems in the sense of this. So, Larry, if, if you could... Um, I mean, I just uh, talk to Larry there about some of those key things that you see come through this key passages.
1: Well, the one in Galatians, for instance, when it said that—well, uh, actually, it started. In, well, Hebrews, yes, it started with it said that it was worthless. Mm. And um, in uh, it's, it's, and people think that he's talking about the law was worthless. Um, it was was to, to say We know that it was was never intended to save
3: but yes it,
1: it's not worthless but yeah. um then the one in uh in in uh was it in john um i've forgotten the first part the first one that we read the john one john uh, chapter that, eight. That's, uh, oh, that's all hebrews also says that when the priesthood changes, then the law has to change. Yes, there's,
0: there has to be, when you have a change in the priesthood, you have to have a change in the law. Because that, what is the context of what that's talking about? Where he, is
1: he actually serving and being able to serve? He's serving in, in heaven now. Exactly. And that's where Melchizedek didn't have a, yes. he wasn't a Levite, and a yes. Levite and, and on earth he couldn't have served as the high priest exactly at that time yeah that's going to change so so thus
0: you're you're seeing the fulfillment of this is that the tabernacle was to be a copy a representation of the things going on in heaven it wasn't like this was what actually is there and heaven is at the mercy of what happens in this tabernacle Some people will get that idea is that if you didn't offer something there, nothing would be forgiven or, but you have a problem. And Hebrews goes into this later on in chapters nine or so, when it talks about the failing of the priest, because the priest has to offer what? Yom Kippur every year. Okay. Well, if it never was discharged, The people are out of luck or what if the priest was a failing in what the priest was committed to do the priest in the priest's heart was corrupt there's whole books of prophets about that specifically the book of ezekiel is about what happens when you have a corrupt priesthood that the core inside of what they're doing is corrupt Does that mean then heaven is just at the mercy of what the priesthood can do on earth? And if the priesthood is corrupt and you have no hope whatsoever of getting to heaven, or I should say getting through to heaven because the person standing there in front of you is corrupt and thus you're blocked. Oh, you're out of luck. Try again next generation. No. That's one of the the pictures here of this lesson of Melchizedek, is that whenever you see God working, it is because the open sign for the kingdom of God is always on. Because when there are those times where you have Ichabod or Ichavod, the glory has departed from the tabernacle, or put like by the prophet Daniel, the abomination of desolation in the temple. When that happens, is mankind out of luck? Uh Uh-oh, well, you better just give up because there's no way and no hope of connecting with heaven anymore. Is that what's really going on? No. Heaven's open sign is always on. That is the lesson of Melchizedek, that heaven's open sign is always on. So we don't have to worry about there being a problem with the priesthood. What we do, we trust in God. God says, hey, come up to me. Come up to the place where I put my name. It's not dependent upon whoever is in charge there at the time period. If they're corrupt, it's not like you're out of luck of being able to go to heaven. You are doing what God said on your end. If someone on the other end, if their job is to minister for God, for the people, they're falling down on the job, that's not your fault. That's their fault. And those who are given a higher position, more is required of them. So that's when you're talking about priests, teachers, those who are helping with the things of God, if they are hindering the work of god yeah it falls on their head big time but for the people they're not blocked from god just because the workers of god have fallen down on the job and that is part of what that lesson that we read about in this passage of abraham going to this priest the priest of el elion or the priest of most high god He was there in office, and we see these glimpses throughout scripture of something happening here that is outside of what we would think. Hey, this is the way God is supposed to work. We see that with (laughs) the prophet, uh, we encounter him later, and every time we go through Numbers, we encounter the prophet Balaam or Balaam. God talked to him, he was an incredibly Unreliable, <laughs> unreliable prophet of God, because as we know both in scripture and historically, he talked to a lot of so called deities. Yeah, he talked to a lot of them. And in the end, those other deities had his ear more than the creator of heaven and earth. So thus, he ended up leading the people of God almost off of a cliff. Let a lot of them off of a cliff. So thus, when we, we take a look at this particular picture, we see this foundation in here of trust. Who do you trust? Where are you putting your trust in? Uh, yes, Christine, Doug, go ahead, please.
2: So if we believe that the Torah sets the seed for the rest of the scripture, this is the introduction, and if we believe that Torah is also prophecy— this is the whole Melchizedek. Oh, I'm sure I said that wrong. Melchizedek. So it's um, patterns and principles, right? So here's a pattern that's been established in Torah, the seed of it already, just like the seed of the promise. These Torah portions are so rich for us to gather seeds, and then it's a first mention, then continuous mention, then full mention and bring us into revelation so that we can have a better concept of all these things and understanding the book of Hebrews as well.
0: Yeah. And that is where this thread that keeps going through all of all of scripture and we saw that talking about this prophecy that was first in Genesis 3 to Eve saying through you is going to come the solution of all this misery that The kingdom of the snake or the serpent has created on all the earth of death, disease, um, confusion about when God is actually speaking or not, those sorts of things that there is that one who is going to come through. And we see this picked up in this particular passage. And we're also going to see in the next passage next week. Where this goes on even further, because we see in a glimpse first off of this interestingly enough, of who the Melek Adonai or the angel of the Lord first speaks to, and that is Hagar. But you also see the word of the Lord also spoke to Abraham. So you see two particular mentions of where this is going of the solution that was first given to eve of where the end of all the misery on earth is going to come from so uh, i'm sorry larry you had your your hand up there it was leaving you
1: uh, (laughs) hanging up there in space yes uh, to reiterate about these things with this isn't quite on this topic but when they talk about this as a a mere shadow yes a shadow only reflects what is actually there
0: yes so it's a representation shadow, which should yes. be
1: it's a it's a great shadow or something like yes. that that effect yes yes it is it is throwing it out its an. isn't it it
0: is a um you could say it is like you would say an image a shadow is akin to an image of what it is that's actually causing uh, casting the shadow because that's one of the things that you can have with the shadows that you can define what the object it is that cast a shadow. No, great observation on that. So seeing these, these two particular passages of Genesis 12 through 14, they, you're just seeing these ups and downs of Avram and Sarai learning about what their role is and what their calling is. So we all are having these sorts of things when we are called to. When we are called to go from where we were, where God found us, to the place where God is taking us, our trip through that is likely going to have these sorts of things where it's the ups and downs. You've got these fits of faith and fear that happen all the time. Now, with this, you see the fits of fear of, oh, If I die, well, it's all over. So that means it's up to me to make sure that I stay alive. I stay alive through this. And with Sarai, she was like, well, if Abraham doesn't procreate with somebody, then the whole promise of why we were called out here goes up in smoke. So it's up to me to make sure that Abraham has kids because it looks like Sarai was saying, it's not going to come through me. So thus, Hagar comes in. And that is thus where you see the description that we read in Galatians, and it goes on through more chapters than that, but that's a small snippet of the discussion there in the letter of Galatians, that this is what the difference is, is between trusting God and trying to, quote, help God. Trying to help God, you know, Take notice of you. Uh, yes, uh, Rose. Yeah, you have a comment or a question over there. If you see
2: uh, how many times I've uh, taken the part of Sarah.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. It happens to all of us. Yes. We've. We all have to come to that point where we realize. Oh, you know, are we uh, trying to you know build a ladder to climb into the kingdom or whatever? we don't want to go through the door that god provides we want to build a ladder to go over the wall if we could and suddenly we realize that our ladder is never long enough to make it over <laughs> uh, yes uh larry you've got a, a comment or a question over there yes yes the messiah yeah it tells a parable that he who tries to go over the wall is a thief and a robber yes keeps trying to find a way in that is other than what is uh, prescribed. So thus you see that uh, <laughs> that this is an account where the patriarchs, you say, "Oh, the patriarchs, they, the ones that started things off always got it right. But no, one of the reasons why they are a pinnacle of their place is because of what? They overcame their trust in God, but also the promises that the Lord made with these people, these covenants that we see here. Now, we always think the Abrahamic covenant, right? Haven't you always heard that? How many covenants did you read about in this particular passage, Genesis 12 through 17? Are you sure there was only one? Three. Circumcision. You think, oh, that's different. No, it's not different. But it sure looks like it's different. But what is the covenant of circumcision related to according to the passage we just read here? The physical covenant related to what? It's, we read it at the end of this passage, a sign of the promise. It's a sign of the promise. And what was the promise? A covenant. A deal that heaven was making with earth. That his seed would bless the entire world, would come through that. So we, we learn later about the covenant of circumcision talked about back during the Exodus, that part of that, especially when this new generation comes out, they have to go through with it because they hadn't for generations before. But the reason why they did was to what? To basically remove the reproach of Egypt or remove the reproach of this house of bondage, that you have been held in bondage here in a place that's not the land of rest. You have been held in a place that's not where God is taking you. And God comes in and frees you, takes you out. So thus, as a part of that, you need to be connected back into the covenant that agreement that promise that god is making so thus when you see the apostle paul talking about this in the passage that we looked at here in galatians but also you see in the connection of you see it in first corinthians where paul is writing to the the congregation there in corinth but says he mentions it That circumcision is not anything, and uncircumcision is not anything, but keeping the commandments of God. Which seems, under the traditional interpretation of circumcision, that seems like a completely oxymoronic statement to make. And completely contradictory statement to make. Well, you're thinking, well circumcision is not anything uncircumcision not anything but keeping the commandments of god because again going back to where we saw in this particular passage this is a part of the abrahamic covenant which is a promise-based relationship a promise-based relationship and we should be thankful that it is promise-based because if it was performance-based we'd all be toast Yeah, we would all be toast if the Abrahamic Covenant was performance-based, because we would all get Fs, or F-minuses, or F-double-minuses, yes. Uh, Yes, we have uh, comments or questions over here, yeah, uh, just hold on
3: just a moment, yes, uh, go ahead please. Yeah, my thing was with with the teachings of Paul. Yes. From my understanding of them, and especially with, like, Romans, he goes in a great detail about with, uh, because he was trying to convert people, and with the Jews back in those days, it was always about the law, and they were losing sight of God, of other Mm. things. Even Jesus Mm. came here uh, to say, you know, with the Pharisees that accused him, he was like, okay, so you obey this law but you disregard greater loss, you know? So I think with a lot of the time when Paul spoke and he seems very contradictive, I actually (laughs) was really upset reading some of Paul's teachings um, because as we all know, they seem to directly correlate with the reason why most Christians don't follow the Torah anymore. But even Paul says himself he still abides by the Torah and it's still holy, and with the Torah, I know what sin is. Without the Torah, I do not know what sin is. He says constantly that it is holy, but a lot of the times he when from my understanding, because he's you know, it's very just hard to understand what he's trying to get at sometimes. My understanding of it when he talks about like the circumcision part that you've said, he says. If, if, let's say, uh, a man who is circumcised but is far from God, is he holier than a man who just came to know Jesus but is uncircumcised?
0: And thus you, you get the, the, the whole thing, circumcision is not anything, uncircumcision is not anything, but keeping the commandments of God. You're like, well, that sounds contradictory, because isn't circumcision keeping the commandments of God? Yes. But... And you see the prophets going, especially Isaiah does this a lot. If you are there following, as a priest, following all of the instructions of the, these, the offerings that you are presenting, yet your heart is far from God, what is God's response? You see that in chapter 1. Yeah, I hate your feasts. I hate your offerings. He commanded you to follow them. But if you show up just punching your ticket, he's, get out of my face. I don't want that. And you see what happens. The uh, you know, book of Ezekiel is a good example. We see some examples in the historical writings when there were priests that were there at the opening of the tabernacle who were doing more carousing with the people that were coming actual service of the people so much so that they did not want to go to the house of god because of the treatment that these two sons of the high priest were doing to yeah the priest uh the high priest of eli his his sons were causing problems in people coming to god so that was causing a problem and sadly Eli didn't want to deal with it. So thus, the prophecy came to him. And uh, yes, God dealt with it because Eli would not deal with it. So God dealt with it in having this problem of the priesthood removed out of there. And that's a lot of what you see is underlying these abominations of desolation, where heaven has to hit the reset button on those who are in charge of the people of God, and because he says with with uh, no bit of irony that judgment begins at the house of God. Because what is the whole house of God supposed to be about? God puts his name in a particular place, says, hey, come here and we can dwell together, because we see that and this Covenant is actually a part of that dwelling together. And we'll see it as these Torah passages move on that heaven and earth reconnecting here through this promise, the seed of the woman, now the seed of Abraham, that this would come, heaven and earth would get reconnected again. So when the ministers of God get in the way of that, That's a big, big problem. That's a big problem. And you see that that's really at the heart of the new covenant that's recorded there in Jeremiah 31. And it says in there that he wants to give us a new heart. And also he says in there that he did not find fault with his instructions that he gave to them. He found fault with what? he found fault with the people because they were there at the mountain and what did they say? Everything you've said, we will do. But yes, but we don't want to talk to you anymore. Right, right soon after that, right soon after that, they said, yeah, yeah, send somebody else to talk to us. So let Moses talk to us. Yes. And the problem is, is that if you don't listen to the ones that God says to come talk to you, just like what Christine was saying, you see in the prophets say, if you don't heed this, these instructions that God gives, which are called the testimonies of God, then they just become sav, kavla kav, line upon line, blah blah blah. It becomes just noise because Otherwise, you see a similar thing that the Apostle Paul talks about, that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Otherwise, they are what? Foolishness. People hear, what on earth is this babbler talking about that they say to the Apostle Paul? They just did not get any sort of anything from them. So, we too can be faced with a similar thing, is that when we read the words of God, how do we respond to them? Are they, okay, line upon line, here a little, there a little, on and on and on and on. Or is it, what is heaven trying to do to connect with us? Where? Yes, everything. Everything everything how is this a part of heaven reconnecting with earth and that's really key to this entire conversation because as you see in genesis 15 through 17 that this is moving from just a covenant promises to circumcision hey we are (laughs) uh, to literally put it we are cutting a deal we are putting this into place so that you will remember it from time going on. And there are these visual remember, uh, reminders that go on through time of it. But if you have these visual reminders, whether they are of the tassels, whether they are of circumcision, whether they are of this or that, if you forget and or you should say if you do not actively remember what that's all about as the apostle paul puts it you should just go mutilate yourself because you've just done the same thing why did you even go through with this why did you do this it served no purpose why are you putting yourself through pain putting yourself through um inconvenience through going through the instructions of god as the outside world would say if they serve no absolute purpose whatsoever um oh i'm sorry larry and then
1: uh Kerry. go ahead please um one we're talking about also in galatians this thing that he calls it he calls it slavery in one place and uh when he taught, one of the things I learned from 119 Ministries Pauline Paradox, which I yes. think is a very good teaching, um, is that he doesn't always talk about when he says law. He's not always talking about God's law. In this case, for, In this case, for instance, he's talking about what he calls the law of sin and death, which is the opposite. It's what comes out of disobeying the law. It's yep, not obeying the law that makes you a slave. It's disobeying it that makes you mm, a slave. Mm-hmm. And um, there's another thing that, that I'm wondering where, if you remember where it is, when we talk about these covenants and the fact that they're all still in effect, it doesn't, one covenant doesn't change the other covenant. It, right. well, it may maybe modified it, but it doesn't make it go away. The covenants are going to, all these covenants are going to last forever because they came from God who lasts forever. And he yeah. doesn't change. And there's a, there's a statement in, uh, in um, this is where I've, I've forgotten where it is, where he says, if you don't keep the covenant, I keep it for you. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's a part of what the, what the promise
0: is. And you see this get re- repeated, and that's actually a part of what that s- seemingly strange ceremony that you saw, that uh, Avram had this vision of the pieces of the animals, and then you see that you had the flame, the torch that went through them while Avram was asleep. See, it's very kind of interesting is that Avraham, what was he doing before the sun went down? Trying to drive away the birds of prey. Again, doing what? Trying to help. If if i 'm not out here, fending off all these wild animals, they will pick apart the offering that i 've been i 've been asked to bring and then what you have the uh, the heavenly you know anesthetist comes and puts him out, and <laughs> night night, and so then you have the vision of the torch go through alone, which i 'm sure you 've probably have read about that these Uh, These sovereign and suzerain covenants of the ancient world, usually the two parties would go through together. But it's significant to people of that particular time period that you had the Lord go through alone, which meant what? It was all upon the Lord. The Lord was taking all of it on that this promise would be fulfilled, that there would be this mighty people, numerous people, would be coming through Avraham. Yes, uh, Carrie, and then uh, Rose.
3: I was just thinking <clears throat> that part where he says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. We read it in the English, and we think that it's about the foreskin, but it's actually not. It was a complete conversion process. Yes. So he wasn't saying, like when he said it, he was talking to an audience that understood. He was talking about conversion, not just that one tiny act yes. of circumcision. So when he says this part, this way is nothing, and this way is nothing, he's not talking about like whether or not a male is circumcised. He's talking about a human whether or not they have converted to the Jewish faith. Because if we don't do that and we still keep Hashem's commandments, then we are still in covenant with Him. Yeah, that was His point.
0: Yeah, because that's where we're the whole point of but keeping the commandments of God is because. That was a part of keeping the commandments of God. But part of circumcision, as you see in the Exodus accounts, especially in Deuteronomy, it's like circumcise your heart. That's what the issue is. The issue has always been where the heart is. You bring your offerings to the altar, your heart better be involved with this. You know, you... If you're going through the rite of circumcision with your son, you parents, your hearts need to be in this. Because at eight days old, your son's not terribly involved with this, but the parents are. The parents are certainly involved. Because, you know, you think of then for those who are older, um, if, the parents were not involved would you go through with it especially ishmael 13 years old mm, yeah exactly the days before any significant uh anesthetics so they had things of a certain sort but uh rose uh, i'm sorry did you i
2: was just thinking about abraham on helping god to uh <laughs> chew away the birds <laughs> uh my mother used to have a saying can't you leave well enough alone?
0: Yes, leaving well <laughs> enough alone.
2: And then about the uh circumcision on the eighth day, uh I took my son on the eighth day to be circumcised, and the doctor said, I think you should go outside and wait. And I said, Well, I, I just want to be here with my baby and he said, No, you don't want to be here. And so I went outside. I could hear that child screaming clear outside. Yep. And uh it was it, uh, it was horrible. They had him tied down to a board, and uh, it was yep. It was an awful experience. So I can't imagine a thirteen-year-old uh, and an and an adult male uh, going through that. Well, same I mean, thing. we and we, they didn't have anesthetic back in the day. Yeah,
0: and we, we we see accounts of it of it later. It literally laid up uh, a, a whole town for few days.
2: Yeah, that's how they, they were going to go in and come Yeah, exactly. That was part of the uh, the subterfuge
0: in that later period. So, that's um yes, and uh, go ahead, please.
4: When when um when Abraham um fell asleep at that time and the Lord went through the the pieces of animals and that I kind of correlated it with Moses asking for the Lord please show me your glory, and the Lord answered, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Because I think that the Lord spoke during that time when he was passing through with that um, pillar of fire or torch, you know, that he also said the same thing. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will announce my name, the Lord said. This is in, uh, let's see, where's this? Exodus thirty two thirty three eighteen 33. to twenty. You know, and he no- announces his name, Lord, so you can hear it. I will show kindness to anyone whom I want to show kindness mm. and favor. I will show mercy to anyone who want, I who, to whom I want to show mercy, compassion. But you cannot see my face because no one can see see me and live. Um. That that was also being said at the same time that covenant was being uh um once again uh, affirmed to Abraham well he's sleeping, but he had those terrible dreams or something in the darkness there of the of what uh, when he was sleeping there it said it was black and black darkness came upon Abraham and uh, so it was it it was um I think affirmed once again with, with Moses, that's what I think.
0: Yeah. Well, that's actually going to be something that we uh, pick up in our next discussion there. And so I'm glad you you noticed that there is a um, connection between what you see about the, the torch passing through in this vision that he had and about the appearance of the, of the glory. So a very... Interesting picture that you see, and it's also expressed with the Melech Adonai, or the angel of the Lord, appearing to Hagar on that. So that's where we'll pick things up next time around. But one of the the key lessons that we have from this is that each of us get called out from our hometown, or where we were when God found, found us, and calls us out. So the question is, do we, lech lecha, do we get going from there or do we just keep sitting around waiting for something else, waiting for some other sign or this or that to get going? And when we do get going, do we go all the way or do we find some place to stop along the way before continuing on? And then when we do continue on, what is it that we do in our trust? Are we looking to help out? Or are we looking to fully trust in what the Lord is going to do? That everything depends on us doing something in our relationship with God, which is actually at the heart of what Apostle Paul is getting at with his conversations related to uh, circumcision, because as Kerry pointed out uh, that in the background of what Paul is writing about is something that we've uh, only really fully discovered with the Dead Sea Scrolls is that circumcision was one of a list of depending on the particular uh, sect of the Judaisms at the time period, and there were several. We see some of them in the Gospels, like the, the Parashim, otherwise known as the Pharisees, the Tzadokim, or the Sadducees. Then you also the Essenes. You, you've got this group that the Gospels call the Zealots, but there's at least three or four others that we know from history that have these different variations on them. And some of them had very widely varying belief systems. And what we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls are some examples of those belief systems. And in one of those uh, scrolls that have been dug up there is a sectarian lot of different sorts of practices, a lot of which are Torah commands that if you don't do this, you are not considered to be in the family of God. You are considered to be on the outs with God. Circumcision is on the list, Shabbat keeping is also on the list. So now you know, and festival keeping is also on the list. So thus you know when you go through Romans and you get to those areas where you see, hey, don't let anyone judge you based on a new moon or a Sabbath or this. Why? Because of the Judaisms of the time period. You could be called, you know, anathema in the kingdom of God because of how you decide to observe circumcision, how you decide to observe the Sabbath days or any of the other instructions by a strict, specific set. And you see those in the Gospels, examples of it. Mark chapter 7 is a good example of that. You see some instructions in there and what does Yeshua respond to that with? You are teaching his doctrine, or a, thus saith the Lord, the commandments of men. So you're taking a sectarian interpretation of what God said, saying God actually said that, and then judging other people to say whether you were in the kingdom or not, based on how you follow a sectarian's view of this or that. Circumcision was one of those. So that is in the background of Paul's discussions. And thus, when you see that pulled together with his final draft, you could say, in the letter to Romans, you see he fully builds that out over the course of the entire letter of this talking to those who know the law, those who don't know the law, those that are born with the law, grew up around it, those who are new to it. How do you live here together? Do you judge each other based on what you quote know or what you quote don't know on this? Or are you all grafted into the same tree? In that, those natural born branches can be pruned off, and the natural born branches can also be grafted back on to the same tree. So, thus you can see that one of the key aspects of this is your trust in God. And thus, it's no surprise that trust in God or faith is a huge underpinning through the whole letter of Romans. And why this passage that we read in here today about he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness gets repeated in paul's letter of romans uh yes larry you have a comment or a question over there yeah
1: paul spent a lot of time trying to disabuse the people of the gnostics mm, gnostics yes that was
0: that's also something that uh came down through time that you have a special knowledge a special knowledge of uh, what heaven really wants and only yes Gnostics, very, very powerful at that time. And actually, you know, we've talked about this before, but Gnostics are powerful here today, where you have a special knowledge of how uh, the world really works. And that uh, people are actually being disabused of what the way the world really works. And so they need to be enlightened of how the world really works. That's an underpinning of um socialism marxism it's an underpinning of some of the um isms and identity related uh movements that are going on here today uh yes uh, go ahead please
3: i just wanted to point out um like one thing that i've gathered from my readings of the bible and the word of god and yeshua is just like uh if we're to judge other people Mm. as men judging other men humans judging another human being um i've seen just uh, yeshua talked about it and god talks about it as well says you should judge another person based on the fruits that they produce and i think that's a that's like a beautiful thing you know like um so constantly paul was trying to say don't judge other people because it you know it takes away from your connection to god when you do that when you just go into like hey the law did you observe the law did you, you know how did you observe the law today mm-hmm. you know so he was trying to say like live by yeshua's example first mm-hmm. and then the law comes and then you know it's not it doesn't come first you can serve the law your whole life yet still be far from yeshua and, and that's, god
0: and that's that's key to why you see like he was. Uh, yeah. Yeshua was talking with those uh, two disciples there on the road to Emmaus and was talking to him about how these all relate to him. And he went through and was explaining how all of the things related to in the scriptures relate to him. You know, We can often think these are only about the so-called, quote, messianic prophecies. But really, what are the What are the laws of God actually called? When we say, like, the Ten Commandments, what are those called? The tablets of the testimony. The tablets of the testimony. What is testimony? Witness. It is a witness of whom? Of who God is. And thus, you know who God is, you will know who he sent. You will know that. So thus, when he's, he's sitting there talking about, hey, these all speak of me, well, yeah, because if you know the character of God, you know what the heart of God is, how he's revealed it, then you will know the one whom he has sent. You will know that. So, when Yeshua is saying, hey, the sheep hear my voice, and you know they're not going to recognize a stranger, well, that's because, just as Moses foretold there in Deuteronomy 13 and 18, when your prophets have come along and they speak what? Something different than what the Lord has revealed. How then do we treat those prophets? Not sent by God not sent by God, even if they are doing miraculous things, but they are telling you to go after somebody different other than who God has revealed himself to be, that's not someone sent by God. Don't follow someone like that. So thus, yes, all of the things that are related in the law and the prophets are all going to, point to who God is and what was one of the key roles of the Messiah, actually foretold in the New Covenant prophecy, to reveal the Father, to reveal who God is, Emmanuel, to reveal through God with us. So that's one of the things we leave there with as we go into our next study here next week. That we'll be taking a look at this really key pivotal moment there of where Yitzhak, the promised one, the promised one, where Avraham has been waiting for a son, promised a son. Here he is. What does the Lord say? offer him up. So, thus, the the old Avraham, I'm going to help God out, that's going to reach a crisis period. Because what are you going to do? Where your efforts before to protect himself so he could be the one to pass on and become this great nation, now here he is, the son of the promise, and Lord says, offer him up. Death also destroys Sarah. So, that is a hopeful picture of where we are in thinking that we've got to do this, 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 and this to earn God's favor. When God's favor is based upon promises, upon promises, upon promises, upon promises. And even if we fail, he is faithful. So if we fall in our faith, he is faithful to bring these things through to fulfillment. So when he's promising that those who we have lost, those who we have lost, that we will see them again. He is faithful to bring those with him when he returns. Yes, praise God indeed. And when he says, hey, there's going to be no more pain, war, suffering, that he is faithful. There will be no more. There will be a new heaven. So there will be a new earth. And the former things will be passed away. He who is faithful then is faithful now and will be Faithful.